Good morning, Cornerstone. My name is John, and I will be doing the scripture reading for today. It comes from Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 23. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hello, Cornerstone. Glad that you can join us once again here today for our worship gathering. I am Pastor Paul, and I'll be sharing our message for today. So we are continuing through the series in the Gospel of Luke. And we here in chapter 22 are towards the end of Jesus' life. It's, it's the very last moments before he is crucified. And so here we see Jesus uh, sharing a lot of things about the last days and coming of the kingdom of God. And we can see that he has death on his mind. He has the end times on his mind. And so we saw in the previous chapter, in chapter 21, where Jesus is thinking about the destruction of Jerusalem, the coming destruction, and, and how um, he will return. He's prophesying his return in the last days, not just the resurrection, but um, at the end of at the end and at the, at the last days, Jesus will come back and judge the world. So, so these are these signs that uh, Jesus gives us, these warnings to stay awake and to watch ourselves. And when we think about uh, death and, and when uh, many people come to the end of their lives, we know that there are these last things that people want to share. And in the movies we see um, someone, if they're going into danger, they want to share these last words. This is the last time they're going to you know, see someone that they care about. And, say, and they, say, they say things like, oh, like, I just want to let you know I, I love you, I care for you, I will always love you, and I will always love you no matter what. All these things, and, and, and we, we say these things because we want to share uh, whatever is on our heart before our time is up. And Jesus, in a sense, is doing the same thing. He is sharing what he wants to share before his time is up, even if the disciples are confused. And, and, and in this case, of course, the disciples are confused, and they're not sure what Jesus exactly is talking about here. But we know that eventually it will become very, very clear. And we see um, early in this chapter, uh, chapter 22, uh, we see um, all these things uh, beginning to happen to lead to Jesus' death. We see Judas, Judas uh, betraying or, or beginning to uh, have the seeds of betrayal in his heart with Satan entering into him. He is about to betray Jesus. And, and before his crucifixion, Jesus uh, is to have one last meal. This is what he does here, one last meal with his disciples over Passover. 
And so uh, why don't we pray and ask the Lord to bless this time and show us the significance of this meal and of what this means for us. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to gather, to uh, worship you, to even in this virtual setting, and we pray that you would help us to see your truth here in this passage of the Lord's Supper, something that we know about because we practice the Lord's Supper in our worship, but Lord, uh, may this bring a new um, sense of appreciation for what we practice and also a sense of, of drawing closer to you and worshiping you because of who you are and what you've done for us. So God, help us here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the Lord's Supper is an integral part of our worship, of, of all Christian worship. And it's something that we partake in together in corporate worship. It's something that we actually used to do every Sunday before the pandemic. And now we've been doing it monthly. Um, and of course, doing it online is not ideal. And in God's Word, it tells us that we are to do this when we meet together. And obviously, it meant together in person. And so hopefully that time will come very, very soon. But oftentimes, uh, many Christians do not take this very seriously. They do not take the Lord's Supper very seriously enough. In some churches, they rarely partake in it. Maybe a couple times a year they'll do it. But in other situations, like maybe in ours, it becomes a routine where it's something that becomes a monotony of sorts. And that is the danger of our context where our congregation, we normally partake in communion when we do it every week. But I hope and pray that each time we partake, we will really remember what Christ has done and remember His sacrifice for us. And I hope today we can have a reverence and an appreciation, a new appreciation for what the Lord's Supper means. So one of my first memories of partaking in the Lord's Supper was actually, I actually did not get to partake, but I was about to. This was when I was... Uh, in elementary school, maybe in fourth, fifth, or sixth grade around that time. And we were in a church service, and we were about to partake in the Lord's Supper. And so the pastor said something like we normally say, right, where we, uh, we ask all who believe in Christ to come forward to partake together and to, and to be a part of this important uh, worship of our Lord. And for me, I thought I was a Christian, and I believed in Christ as my Lord and Savior. And so I went up and I was online to take communion. But what happened was a few adults saw me and they were like, huh, hey, you're not supposed to be online. Um, you're not old enough and you have not been confirmed yet. And for those of us who do, do not know what confirmation is, um, uh, I was infant baptized as a kid. I w was raised in the Presbyterian Church. And so we, were, we are infant baptized in the Presbyterian Church, and there's a process when you are old enough, uh, a lot of times it's in middle school or high school, you confirm your faith and you profess your faith um, and share your testimony um, in front of the congregation, like we do for baptism. Um, and so I did not do that quite yet, and so I quite embarrassingly just sat down and left the line. And it was one of those moments where I was confused about why I couldn't partake. Um, and although maybe my church uh, didn't handle this the best way, um, I understood. They explained to me what the Lord's Supper was about. And it was for those who truly believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior and that it comes with a 
usually a public profession of that faith. And it's because of that, I got to really understand the, the weight of the Lord's Supper. And all of this is because um, we are partaking in this meal together in fellowship with Christ. Uh, it doesn't actually make sense if we partake it without believing because it is for the community of believers. So let's see what Jesus does here in having this meal with his disciples and giving us a symbol of the bread and the cup. So Jesus here is doing something that is very unique during this uh, Passover meal. So this is a, a big holiday, a celebration of sorts for, for Jews. Passover was celebrated for a long, long time. And depending on uh, how you date the Old Testament, scholars uh, differ on, uh, on how they date uh, the Old Testament, but it could have been at least around 1,400 years of celebrating the Passover. So for 1,400 years, the Passover is one of the quintessential meals and celebrations for Jews where um, they remember how God passed over the Israelites in Egypt while they were enslaved. So, you know, we remember the Jews had to sacrifice a lamb. Uh, on the eve of the exodus, on the eve of them being released from slavery. And the Jews marked their doorposts with the blood of that lamb. And, and this, by this sign, uh, God would pass over them, and they would be spared of their forced, firstborn sons being killed. And everywhere else, uh, we saw this horrible, horrible uh, situation where the firstborn uh, was killed in that land. Now, now, Jesus changes the meaning of this. He changes the reason why we celebrate. It's not just to commemorate and celebrate what God had done in the past, that he saved his people and, and released them from, uh, from enslavement, but it points to the future, that Jesus himself, he is the Passover lamb. And he says, this bread and, and this is my body given for you. This cup, this is the new covenant in my blood. When he makes these correlations with the bread and the cup, he is transforming the meaning of Passover. Jesus' body is the once and for all fulfillment of the ceremony surrounding this Passover lamb. Things are forever changed here. The meaning has completely changed. The, the, this meal is forever transformed. It's not looking towards the past, like I said. It's looking towards what Jesus will do and has done for us. He is the sacrificial atonement on the basis of how God will pass over the sins of his people. It is a powerful message that Jesus is sending here. The blood is the sacrificial blood that was poured out in his death. And his death is what sealed us to our covenant relationship with God. That is why it is a new covenant that we have because of his blood. Jesus is the substitutionary sacrifice. He has given his body for us. He has substituted and took our place. We were supposed to bear the punishment of sin, which is death, but Jesus himself is the one who took our place. And now we have the opportunity to spend eternity with him. So not only does this meal prophesy what Jesus' death ultimately means, 
but Jesus actually institutes something. He institutes the Lord's Supper. This is something that we are called to do to remember him. He says in verse 9, verse 19, excuse me, do this in remembrance of me. We are to do this as a church. We are to do this together to, to remember what Jesus has done. So when we eat the bread and drink from the cup, we are to remember this sacrifice. Remember his body, his blood shed for us. This is why we partake in this ordinance instituted by Christ. This is why we do the Lord's Supper as a church. Paul in, in 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen actually shows us a little bit more and gives us instructions on how we are to partake. So let me share something that he says in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 to 29. He says this, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So we are to take this very, very seriously. And we are to examine ourselves, look in our hearts, and ask for forgiveness of any unrepentant sins, any unconfessed sin, or we bring judgment upon ourselves. So when we partake in the Lord's Supper together, we are to examine ourselves very carefully and to think about uh, where we stand before the Lord, whether we have any unconfessed sin, whether we are unrepentant in any sin. And because if we come before Him in an unworthy manner, we bring judgment to ourselves. The amazing thing about the Lord's Supper is that it truly is a reminder of what Christ has done for us. When we truly think about the body and, and, and the blood of Christ, all we can think about is what he did for us on the cross. It reminds us of the gospel over and over again. That is why we, we do this together each week when we meet together in person. Uh, one pastor actually shared that when he first became a Christian, um, he didn't really know what you were supposed to do during communion. He wasn't sure, um, are we supposed to pray, or do I just sit here silently? Um, what should we be thinking about? And so he uh, had a pastor actually share with him five looks to help him that really impacted how he viewed the Lord's Supper. So let's go through these five looks together really quickly. The first one is to look up. God has prepared the table and let us be thankful for what he has done. Second is to look in. We have to examine ourselves, like we just said, to see if we can partake in a worthy manner. Third is to look back. We look back at the cross to see what Jesus did for us. Fourth, we look around to our fellow church members and we celebrate this meal together in fellowship. And fifth is we look ahead at the marriage feast where we will be with the Lord in heaven, where we look ahead to that day, where we get to celebrate with a feast with Christ in heaven. So um, this is a great tool for us to use to think about um, how we are to partake in communion properly, to, to have this in mind when we take the elements together. Now, throughout all Christian history, people have had uh, different views of what the Lord's Supper means and how we are to partake of it. Um, another word for the Lord's Supper is communion. We use that word um, a lot of times in our church context. 
Some others use Eucharist. Eucharist is a, um, a, a Greek word for giving thanks. And all of this is uh, the same in that it means worshiping and partaking in the Lord's Supper together as a body of Christ. But one of the bigger controversies throughout church history has been regarding how we conduct the Lord's Supper and what it means and, and what is happening in the Lord's Supper. And so, you know, all of us Christians believe that Jesus gives us this command to do this in remembrance of him. And all Christians believe that we should be doing this. We, I don't know any Christian denomination or group that doesn't partake in the Lord's Supper. Um, but again, there was a lot of questions. And um, a lot of it has to do with how we are to administer it, like who gets to administer it. And another question is what happens to the the cup and the bread um, when we observe this uh, time together of worship. And so, for example, the Catholic Church insisted uh, for a very, very long time and even till now that the bread and wine transforms when administered by a priest and therefore you are partaking of the physical body and blood of Christ. And this means that the bread and wine have physically transformed. They are not bread and wine anymore. Um, and that uh, even though it appears like it is and it still tastes like bread and wine, it actually is no longer that. It is actually the physical body and blood of Christ. And they also actually believe that these elements are permanently transformed, even outside of the administration. So even afterwards, if there's like leftover, they believe that that is permanently the body and blood of Christ. Okay. And this is called transubstantiation. And there are others who view it similar, who view uh, similarly with the Catholic Church in terms of the, the the body and blood of Christ. They believe that his physical body and blood are present in the Lord's Supper, but uh, they do not believe that they are there all the time. It is only when administered. Um, and so this is what theologians will call a real presence position of the Lord's Supper. Um, many scholars actually lump this position with another position, which is very similar, um, and this position is that the presence of Jesus, his body and blood, is within, in, and around the elements. So the elements don't transform like in transubstantiation, but the physical presence of Christ coexists with the elements, and this is what is called consubstantiation. And the, the couple other uh, beliefs of this are that there are those who believe that Jesus is present spiritually and not physically. And this is called the spiritual presence position. And there are others who believe that it is simply a memorial or a remembrance of Jesus. So it is um, merely symbolic when we partake of the elements. Now our church leans towards it being more symbolic and a memorial of what Jesus has done for us. And we do it out of obedience to his to, to Christ's command to partake and to remember his sacrifice. But that doesn't mean that God isn't uh, involved in this process. It is a form of worship to God and to Jesus. And so God is obviously moving and acting, and he is present in us. And I, from a Presbyterian background, believe more of the spiritual presence of, of communion, where Jesus... Um, is in the elements in a spiritual way. When we partake of it, it is a means of grace. It is a way to be blessed and renewed when we partake of the elements together. 
But whatever the case is, um, however we worship God in the Lord's Supper, all of us as Christians really truly believe that it is an essential element of our worship and that Christ instituted it for us before he left because he wanted us to do it as a remembrance of him. Now, in addition to seeing Christ as our Passover lamb and that he is our substitutionary sacrifice, we see something else very special happening here in the Lord's Supper. We see, um, we see Christ being the, the Passover lamb and substitutionary sacrifice in other parts of Scripture. But here we see something different in the sense that we see Jesus wanting to have a meal with us. And, and that is very, very special. Let's read verse 15 again. He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, now let us really ponder upon that for a moment. The disciples are, you know, clueless about what is happening, basically, at this point. And they don't really fully understand what is going to happen as well. And of course, Jesus has been preparing them for, for months and years, but we know that it's going to take some of them a while to really understand what Jesus has done for us. Um, and Jesus knew that within hours that he would suffer and die, and he would be in excruciating pain, and that uh, one of them would betray him, and he would be bearing the sin and shame of the world. But the last thing he wants to do is what? He wants to eat this meal together with his disciples. There's a, a Spike Lee movie called The 25th Hour, and it's uh, about a, a man who um, is going to prison for, for dealing drugs. Um, and um, he, we see his day, like one day in his life right before he goes to prison. And what he does during that day is really just kind of sad. He just kind of spends the day wallowing in his pain, being worried about all the things that prison uh, will bring him, uh, being worried about getting raped in prison, which is all very uh, normal and understandable. Uh, and he tries to figure out who turned on him. And he tries to figure out um, who he should be blaming for his situation. And he goes on a rant about how everything in this world is, is horrible and that um, everything in his life has just turned sour. And um, it, it's just a lot of complaining and wallowing and, and self-pity. And, you know, this is probably something that many of us would probably uh, do as well, we would probably be very similar to this man going to prison. But what we see Jesus do here is so, so different. He spends his final days um, wanting to be with his disciples. Instead, he says, my last days, I will be with you because I love you. And even though he knows that there will be those who betray him and those who will um, reject him, and he knows the hearts and sins of his disciples, but he chooses to spend his last meal with them because of his love for them. And this is the love that Jesus has for all of us. We get to experience this love. He loves us that much as well, and we really have no idea how much Jesus loves us. It is unfathomable to know how much he loves us. The love that we have for our children, our spouses, for our loved ones, it does not compare to the love that Jesus has for us. So Jesus eats with us and wants to eat with us because he loves us. And it is this intimate relationship that we have with Jesus that, that 
that He loved us, that we can partake in this meal with Him as well, because He draws close to us. The Lord's Supper, that in this sense, is not a sacrifice. It is a meal. We come to a table. We don't go to an altar. We don't give our sacrificial lamb ourselves. No, He is that sacrificial lamb. And so because He has done that work on the altar, we get to now sit at a table with Him. We come to a family table where we can enjoy fellowship with each other and with Christ, where we receive these blessings that were bought on the cross for us. Jesus eats with us. He shares this meal with us. We get to eat with him, and we have this intimate relationship with him as well. C.S. Lewis poignantly once said, the command of Jesus, after all, was take and eat not take and understand. Of course, we are to understand what Jesus did for us, but more importantly, we take and eat. We remember Jesus, we experience what he is doing, and then we are transformed by what he has done for us because he loves us and we have his love in us and we have this special relationship with him. That is the beauty of the Lord's table, of the Lord's Supper. We partake in this with Jesus, and we do this together in fellowship. We do this together as a church. Um, we partake, and, and Jesus models for us what it means to have this intimate relationship as we partake with him. He teaches us what it means to be intimate with one another as well. And the meal is a per- perfect place for us to do that, to grow in relationship. A couple weeks ago at our virtual conference, Pastor Yukon had brought in Pastor Carl, and they had a conversation about sharing the gospel. And and Pastor Carl mentioned how uh, doing it over a meal, it can be so, so special to be able to share a meal with one another. Um, It is important not just for fellowship with one another here in the body of Christ, but also with outsiders. It is a perfect way to welcome someone into your into your family, into your um, circle, right? The table is a welcoming place. And um, they shared how they had such a welcoming experience uh, with uh, this person they had a meal with, and that person just enjoyed that meal so much, and they were able to have a great conversation with one another as well. Uh, Many of us feel that too as well. We have had great meals together where we we were able to meet, especially recently with um, the pandemic getting better and better, uh, and, we, and we have noticed a vast difference of us getting together in person. Right, Our youth group, we've met a, a couple times, a few times this past month in person, and it's been such a big difference getting together in person versus uh, having our fellowship online. We can feel um, how we were meant to be together, how we can share in love and share in fellowship together so much better when we do it uh, face-to-face. Now, you know, we haven't been able to do this for a long time. I know that it's been over a year for us that we haven't been able to do this uh, safely. And so now may it be a new start for us to welcome people to our table, to our homes, uh, into our lives, whatever the case is. We have a new chance now to do this in our lives. 
And this is our call as followers of Christ. This is the great commission that has been given to us by Jesus. He leaves us with the Lord's Supper as an example to do this. And we can welcome people into fellowship and into relationship with us and ultimately with our God and with Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper is indeed for those who believe in Jesus. Those are the ones who are to partake of the Lord's Supper. But Jesus is the Passover lamb that was slain for all people, for all nations, every tribe, nation, and tongue. And we, we can look at our passage today. Jesus says in verse 16, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. In verse 18, he says, I will not drink until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus will come back very soon. And when it is time, when it is fulfilled, that is when he will return. And in the meantime, we are called to be a part of that kingdom work, to bring people to Christ, for us to grow in our understanding of our Lord, to remember him for what he has done, but also to be missional and to share the gospel and to share the beauty of what Christ has done for us on the cross so that this table can grow larger and larger and more and more people can join in the Lord's Supper with us. So let us close in prayer asking God to give us the heart of Christ for the coming of his kingdom and that he would use us for that completion, for that work. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that, Lord, you would give us the heart of Christ. Lord, we have seen this example through the Lord's Supper. We have seen, Lord, how we can share in this meal together, that we have fellowship with one another and fellowship with you, this intimate relationship with you. And we want others to to know this relationship, to draw near to this, Lord. So God, for those of us here who uh, may not know you yet, Lord, we pray that this uh, Lord's Supper imagery can really show the intimate love that you have for us. And that, God, we do this to remember you, to know what you have done on the cross, that you have given your body for us, that you have shed your blood so that we can have this covenant relationship with you. And so, God, we pray that we can know what your Son has done for us and that we that can propel us, Lord, to invite others to the table and to be able to expand your kingdom and to do your kingdom work here on this earth. God, help us and lead us as a church, that we can be a church that takes the Lord's Supper seriously, that it is not a monotonous routine we do, but it is something very, very special. And Lord, most of all, may that lead us to live for you, to to share the name of Christ, and to love others as you have loved us. Lord, lead us and help us here today and for for the future as we seek to glorify you, to live as your church. Bless us, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters. May you be blessed by his word. We'll see you next time.